think that COVID-19 can feel really scary and overwhelming. And for a lot of people, it can create anxiety and isolation. The best thing that we can do right now is to reach out. So I think that community is so important in this. Oh, hi, Type 1s and Type Nuns. I'm Walt Drennan, and you're listening to a very special episode of Ask Me About My Type 1, because the world is in crisis. And while for some people, uncertain times means hoarding toilet paper, I feel the urge to podcast. COVID-19 has reached pandemic status, and because the Type 1 community is considered to be particularly vulnerable to the virus, I needed to speak with someone who understood both COVID-19 and type 1 diabetes, so I could learn what every type 1 should know from someone who actually knows what it means to live with type 1. And I was so lucky to find Dr. Hannah Hamlin, a medical resident in Houston who is also living with and managing her own type 1. In our conversation, Dr. Hannah covers it all, from what the hell COVID-19 actually is and why it's so dangerous, the importance of social distancing, and she even goes over what she's been doing to keep herself healthy and safe while working as a medical professional during the COVID-19 crisis. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Now, here's the very special episode. Hi, Dr. Hannah. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So this is a very special episode of Ask Me About My Type 1 because of everything that's going on currently with the COVID-19 crisis here in the U.S., but also around the world. And I wanted to get your take on it, Hannah, because you have a really unique perspective, being that you're both a doctor and someone that lives with type 1. But before we get into that, Hannah, tell us all about yourself, who you are, what you're doing, and your diagnosis story. Awesome. All right. So my, my name is Hannah Hamlin, and I am a physician. I graduated medical school last year, and right now I'm completing my family medicine residency training. Uh, originally, I was a kid that grew up moving all around, so I don't have a solid home base, but I'm currently practicing in Texas, and I moved here from the New Orleans area. That's where most of my family is currently. As far as my diagnosis story, I was diagnosed at 13 years old, so that really awkward middle school puberty age, um, like a lot of us, and I had just moved to the United States. I grew up in Europe, and so it was a little bit of a culture shock, and then the diabetes shock on top of it made it a, a challenging year that I think manifested in a lot of growth. So with that, I told myself when I was first diagnosed that I certainly didn't want my future career to have anything to do with diabetes, that it would be too overwhelming. And as I went through college, I, I got my undergraduate degree in nutritional sciences and then ended up choosing to go to medical school to become a physician. So I am really happy with my choice. I think it's ironic how kind of things can change out on us. But I think that diabetes was such a gift in that it taught me a lot about health and a lot about biochemistry and things that I, I was able to apply in getting my medical degree. So I'm really thankful for it in that sense. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to have you on so that you could give listeners a better idea of what it means to live with and manage type 1 in the time of COVID, as it were. So what is COVID-19 and what makes it so different to cause the world to basically come to a stop? Yeah, absolutely. So COVID-19 is the name of a type of coronavirus uh, that initially started from animal species in China. 
earlier this year, actually at the very end of 2019, and that's where it gets its name from. Now, coronavirus is a type of virus we've had around for a long time. Actually, coronavirus is a large chunk of people who get the common cold is a coronavirus. But this coronavirus in China mutated in a way that is causing humans to become sicker from it. And so we've we've named it the COVID-19 as the virus itself name. And what it causes that that is a little bit more sick than the common cold or the flu is that it can cause people that have trouble breathing and getting enough oxygen from their lungs into their bloodstream so that we can make energy. Now, it can manifest as a pneumonia, which a lot of you have probably heard about before. So a lot of inflammation in our lungs, but it can also manifest as acute respiratory distress syndrome, also called ARDS. And that's something that's really concerning. And in order to help people who get ARDS, we need to provide a lot of respiratory support. Uh, And that's something that we can do in a hospital setting with just simple oxygen under the nose or in people who need more because their oxygen levels are dropping. We can use what's called intubation, where we put a tube down the patient's throat temporarily in order to push oxygen through and allow them to be able to breathe better. And that's the big concern with this is that a lot of people are needing hospital care a lot more than normal. And so hospitals in cities that have a large community spread of COVID-19 are getting very overwhelmed. And that's concerning because it's the last thing a physician wants to do is choose which patient to help in the, in the hospital setting. And if we don't have enough beds, that can be what it comes down to. So the goal for that is to come back to this flatten the curve concept, which talks about decreasing the rate of spread in your community. So with COVID-19, you can be contagious with the, with the virus and not have any symptoms at all. That's where we come down to this social distancing is something that will protect all of us from increasing the rate of spread in our communities. We, we can transmit this through what's called droplet spread, meaning that any droplets that come out of our mouth or nose, respiratory secretions. So for example, a sneeze, if I were to sneeze and have COVID-19, it could affect someone within 10 feet of me and they could be able to contract the virus. There was a cruise ship that got fully infected with COVID-19 and and a lot of people got sick. And what they did was they tested every single person that came off that ship for the virus. And it turned out that some people who were really sick obviously came back positive, but also people without symptoms at all. And so I think that's important to remember is that you could get this virus and, and not show symptoms and be very healthy through it. And that's wonderful. You could have symptoms such as a mild cough, or it may manifest like the flu with body aches. One thing that's pretty great about it is that children are much, much less affected than adults. And we can kind of look at at populations who have had COVID and and children are really protected and that they are most likely manifesting with just mild cold symptoms. That being said, a lot of children have colds growing up and so they, they can spread the disease as well. And that's just something to be aware of. In terms of the type one community, what should we be aware of? Because as of right now, a lot of the information surrounding COVID is for the general public. And I think the one thing that most type ones are paying particular attention to is the fact that people who are immunocompromised are more susceptible of being infected. So what could you tell us about that? And if anything, what should we as type ones be doing on top of what is already being suggested? Yeah, those are great questions. I think to start with the immunocompromised uh, topic would be a good place to start. I know that I saw on social media a lot of people with type 1 diabetes asking whether or not we fell into that category. 
And I think that's a great question in that often type 1 diabetes gets lumped in with type 2 diabetes. And people talk about diabetes in this general term. And sometimes it's hard to know where we fit because certainly everything that applies to people with type 2 diabetes does not apply to us. And I think we kind of know that in general at this point. But immunocompromised stands for people with less healthy immune systems. And what we know is that hyperglycemia, so our blood sugars higher than the constituted normal range in medicine, is something that decreases our immune system. And we know that from a general standpoint. So for all types of infections. Um, we don't know exactly how that relates to the, the COVID-19 virus itself. And so I think that's where some of the data is getting muddled is because we, we do know that we do fall into that immunocompromised category, or most of us. Now, there are some people with type 1 diabetes who are able to maintain normal blood sugars with an A1C less than 5.9%. And 5.9% is kind of the cutoff that the medical community uses. Uh, as physicians, we diagnose prediabetes and diabetes with an A1C above that. But even, even the people, the very rare people with type 1 who have low A1Cs likely still have spikes um, in their blood sugar, and those spikes can also depress immunity. So the greater majority of us do fall into that immunocompromised category. So what does that mean? I think that's kind of the next question. And, and is that something we should be scared about? I think in general, the, the COVID-19 spread throughout the United States is something that can be really scary to a lot of people, but certainly to people who fit in this immunocompromised category. And I think a lot of you probably by now have heard about this topic or kind of phrase that a lot of people are throwing around the flatten the curve. And just to kind of go over that generally, if you haven't, I really encourage you to look it up. There's a lot of great diagrams, um, like pictorials that can explain it better than I can just through voice. But the idea is that as this virus spreads, it will likely affect the majority of us. And a lot of people will contract COVID-19. And there's really a range of symptoms. Some people will show no symptoms at all, but they'll be able to carry the virus and they'll be able to infect other people with it. To the other range, some people will get the virus, and from looking at studies here in some states in the U.S., but also overseas, um, that some people will get different types of pneumonia, what we call ARDS, or a really acute respiratory um, infection where they need help breathing. And in hospitals, we can apply oxygen in the hospital setting. But if someone were to need to be intubated, so a tube to go down their throat to help with breathing, that's something that we can only do in the ICU setting, or most hospitals are only equipped to do that. And ICU beds uh, are not very common. Only a small section of hospital beds are considered ICU beds, intensive care unit beds. So with that, the concern is that if we all get sick and all need to go to the ICU or all of the immunocompromised people in your town need ICU care, we won't have enough beds to help everyone. So the goal is to spread down the rate at which people get in this new infection in society so that we can decrease the amount of people that need an ICU bed each week or each day. That way, if fewer people are getting infected at a time, we can help nurse those people's back to health through the great medical technology that we have in these ICU beds and then have new beds open up for the new people getting sick. That way, we don't have to decide who gets a bed because the ERs are overflowing. So with that, you'll see a lot of the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, they talk about all the guidelines as far as washing hands, not being in large groups of people, being careful at the grocery store, things like that. And I definitely think that people with diabetes should be following all of those uh, requirements, but I think people without diabetes should be as well. 
when it comes to different things that we should be doing because we have diabetes, my recommendations are really just to be controlling our blood sugars as much as we can right now. No matter where our A1C is currently, I think that every day we make a choice on when we take our insulin and what types of foods we eat and how much we exercise. And so I think just making the best decisions we can and and using all that energy that might feel like fear or anxiety about kind of what we're hearing in the news to make actionable, positive steps in our lives is only a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And at least for me, I've been required to work from home for the next couple of weeks at least. And I now have a lot more downtime to make these better choices and make a lot more conscious effort to take care of myself and my type one. But there's also another factor in that because we have all this extra time now, I think mental health is going to be really important for people to stay on top of because we don't have any of those regular distractions or ways of keeping ourselves mentally busy like we used to. So I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the mental health aspect of sheltering in place like everybody is having to do now. Yeah. Well, first, I'm so glad you brought up the the mental side of things. And I think honestly, with type one diabetes, I feel personally that kind of the mental and the mindset around type one diabetes is such an important part of my care uh, in a an important part of, of learning to live with the disease. Uh, and it's something that we don't talk about, in my opinion, enough. So I think things like this podcast are perfect for bringing that up. Um, but certainly diabetes can be isolating in its own. And now being isolated with diabetes in a setting of being more concerned about having diabetes, it can really be difficult. And some things that I've done just from a mindset perspective is to kind of decrease the times of day that I'm reading the news. In the first couple of days, I was getting all these emails from work and I was reading articles online and doing a lot of research and it became a little bit consuming. I think it's easier to let fear take over when we have one topic coming into our mind. And so I've kind of put hours on when I'm going to let myself check in and read the news and catch up on work emails and read even social media because it's all over social media right now. Another thing you mentioned is kind of being stuck inside, and certainly it feels that way. I think in certain areas, more rural or even city, it's safe to get outside uh, as long as we're not within 10 feet. Or you'll hear mixed opinion, six feet or 10 feet, 10 feet of other people. So if you have household members and you guys can find a trail where there's not a lot of people and go on a walk, get some sunshine, be in nature, I think that's really good for mental health. I know that's been helping me a lot. I went for a walk earlier this morning. Yeah, it was great and a great way to break up the day. Uh, I've also been watching a lot of uh, workout videos on YouTube, and I've gotten back into practicing meditation with an app, which is another, I think, great tool that we can use now that we are sheltering in place because uh, it's literally the practice of learning how to deal with intrusive thoughts better. So that is something I highly suggest. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I've definitely been doing YouTube yoga videos every morning, and I also am a meditator, so I'm, I'm so glad you brought this up. I think it can definitely help with anxiety as well, but I do it in my daily life as a practice. Um, my favorite meditation app is Insight Timer. There are a lot of good ones out there, but Insight Timer is completely free, uh, and I highly recommend that. If it's something that you've been looking into wanting to try, it's a great time even just to learn more about it, but that definitely makes a big difference in my life. So the general public hears a lot about what we should be doing to keep ourselves safe, but because you're a medical professional, has your hospital been doing anything specific to address COVID-19? In order to take precaution for the COVID-19, what kind of we've been doing at my hospital center is a lot of you may have read about kind of these drive-through testings for people who are being triaged with symptoms on the phone and being sent to certain testing centers that are testing for COVID. And they kind of do this in a drive-through setting where someone in a big 
what we call PPE, but it looks like a hazmat suit walks out with a little swab and swabs your throat and kind of sends it off. The idea then is that that patient would quarantine themselves for four to 24 hours, depending on how long it takes for the test to come back uh, and then be given further instructions from there. I'm pretty lucky in my town. We don't have, we only have a few positive COVIDs that have been fully quarantined, which is wonderful. So we're not currently in a place of community spread, but I do know that the community spread will will change the way that our policies are. There's a big movement to move to telemedicine appointments, and I would recommend for anyone with type 1 diabetes, if you don't have to go into the doctor uh, over the next couple of weeks to months while this is going on, I really recommend you don't. There are some studies out of China that show that people who uh, about out of 138 people who had positive COVID testing and they went back and tried to determine exactly where they contracted it from, 40% of those were in a healthcare setting. So we do know that those are higher risk places to go. A lot of physicians are really open to phone calls now uh, or doing things online. And from a diabetes perspective, there's not a lot of a physical exam that needs to be done. We can do most um, insulin dose changes online or over the phone. So I'd recommend asking for that if it's not yet in your area, uh, but definitely avoiding clinics. We have more protective gear kind of on board for patients who are COVID positive in the hospital and our ED has a lot of policy changes or our ER emergency department. But right now I know a lot of cities around the United States are only testing people for COVID if they meet inpatient status, which is the medical terminology for meaning they need to stay the night in the hospital. And that's just because we're limited on testing. There's a lot of hope that we're going to get more tests, and I, I really see that improving in the future, so I, I can see a lot of policies changing. It's really interesting. It seems like every day we have new policies coming out, and so it's amazing to see what the leadership in healthcare and in the government and the CDC are able to get so many people together and communicate in such an effective way that we're able to make such uh, changes so quickly. I, I really... I look up to all the leaders right now in whatever field they're in, you know, or, or whatever business model, because I know they're making some really hard decisions. Yeah, I actually had an appointment with the CDE that I was supposed to see this week, but it got canceled because of everything that's going on. And they gave me some options for telecommuting, like you were saying, which I think is a good thing to know, because at this point, we're still not really sure how long this will last. So knowing that you can still have access to your medical professionals or your medical team is really good, I think. Yeah, those options are still there. But aside from that, Hannah, I was wondering if you, as both a medical professional, a doctor who also lives with type 1, were there any specific questions that you were asking about not just keeping your patient safe, but also just keeping yourself safe throughout all this? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. I think my biggest thing that I was interested in or what are things that I could do to boost my immune system. Um, I My undergraduate degree, like I said, was in nutritional sciences. And so I love reading nutrition studies. And I think that in addition to controlling our blood sugars as much as we can, which I know with diabetes is always difficult. And then also eating vegetables. You know, I think just eating whole foods is something that's always going to be really important from an immune standpoint too. But what are the other, other things we can add into that? And so I did some reading of the literature, just kind of reading about exactly what are things that we can do to continue to optimize our immune system. And are there any things that we do on a daily basis that we can take out of our life that decrease our immune system? So for me, I can kind of go over some of those answers, but I found uh, in addition to definitely 
keeping our blood sugars lower. There are supplements that we can take that have been shown to help with viral illnesses. Now, we don't have any studies, again, about this COVID-19 virus because it's so new. But we can look at general studies on increasing our immune system and increasing um, our immune system specifically against viruses. One of the things that can help uh, decrease the duration of the flu virus is vitamin C and zinc. And those are something that I take generally when I know I have an exposure at work. Vitamin C you can take in really high doses, up to six to eight grams per day safely, and it can decrease uh, the duration of the flu, and it's known to help with common colds and different things. Um, so I like to take those when I have exposure. Now with vitamin C, something important to remember is that it actually can make our blood sugars look a lot higher than they really are on both the blood finger sticks and continuous glucose monitors, so Dexcom and Freestyle Libre. So with that, you just have to be cognizant if you take a big dose of vitamin C not to, um, not to take a bunch of insulin right after if you see a spike. You can attribute that to the, to the supplement itself. Dr. Bernstein is a physician who wrote The Diabetes Solution. He's an endocrinologist, uh, and he has a book that talks about optimizing diabetes care. And one thing that he recommends from an herbal standpoint is elderberry. Uh, elderberry has some complexes in it that can help us increase our white blood cells, which are our immune system cells. And that's something that you can buy at most grocery stores. It comes in kind of the sugar-free syrup, and I think it's good to have on hand. I use it all the time when I feel like I'm getting sick. So that's something that I just stocked up on last time I went to the grocery store. In addition to that, there are things like intermittent fasting, which is kind of a hot topic in the nutrition world right now. But if you've been interested in trying it, again, right now might be another time to read about it or look into it. It's something that I've been kind of increasing in my own life. I like to use Bulletproof Coffee in place of breakfast in the morning, uh, and that makes me feel really good. It kind of helps me prevent the spike that I would normally get from the dawn phenomena or like higher blood sugars in the morning that are, that are a little harder to bolus for. So those were kind of things that I found. The last one I think is really important, and we talked about going outside, is vitamin D levels. We've known uh, in the metal community for a long time that having low vitamin D can be associated with higher risk of infections in general. So right now, if you think that your vitamin D might be low, meaning that you don't go outside a lot or it's winter and you're in a place that's very cold, I would recommend supplementing vitamin D. That's something I do on a daily basis because I spend so much time in the hospital setting. And vitamin D, you can supplement at about 4,000 IUs safely per day. And I would recommend that if it was something that you're interested in, just optimizing. Okay, so you've given us a lot of really great information and cleared up a lot of things for me personally. But is there any misinformation going on out there that you'd like to take some time to clear up right now, particularly if it has anything to do with type 1 or that you think type 1 should know specifically? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I guess what jogs my mind when you when you say that is that I've seen a lot of people concerned about going to work with type 1 diabetes and not feeling like there's a lot that we can do if we do work in a, a setting with high exposure. So healthcare workers, for example, I've seen a lot of concern about having to go to work as a healthcare worker with type 1 diabetes. And, and I think a lot of people feel very much like they have to be there and that they don't have rights in, in place to protect them. And we do not have any particular rights from the ADA or the American Diabetes Association that protect us from this COVID virus exposure specifically. But we do have lawsuits in place that are, are laws that were created to help people with diabetes. And, and under that is the ability to request for reasonable accommodations. And I think it's important that we all know that. I can certainly send you some links for people who are, are wanting more information on this. But 
but knowing that we are able to request what is called reasonable accommodations, and there are some interpretations of that, but it's very, it's very much a big gray area, meaning that it can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. So no matter what setting your job or even school is, if for some reason it hasn't canceled yet, there are things that you can do to prevent your exposure. Really, the CDC is is recommending that immunocompromised people are not around more than 10 people at once. And so if your work setting puts you at risk for that, then I think that would be a reasonable thing to ask for. And that's, of course, my opinion. And each each workplace will have to look at that on a case-by-case stance. But we do have some protection as people with disabilities, or that's what the law is under. I don't know if I necessarily consider it a disability. Uh, and that's controversial, I know, in this type 1 world. But we do have things in place to help us. And, and so I think it's important that we all know that. Yeah. So so work, before we were all required to work from home for the next two weeks, I was working on talking to both my supervisor and my HR rep to request to start working from home because I was, was following the news and things were getting worse with COVID. So I thought it'd be a good idea for me to personally to stay home. And it was basically just, I didn't want to get sick. But again, there's also the fact that because we're immunocompromised, not only do we get sick easier than most people, but we also have the potential to get sicker, which is something that the medical community or medical professionals now don't need. So in terms of taking care of ourselves, I think it's not just a matter of making sure that we don't get sick, but it's also about watching out for our communities. So that's why we practice social distancing. That's why we stay in place. Because if we were to get sick, it would be that much more resources being spent at a time where we don't really have the room to do that. And so if we can be mindful of the decisions that we make and keep ourselves healthy, it's not just in our best interest, but it's in the interest of our communities as a whole. So it's the greater good as opposed to just looking out for ourselves. Yeah, I think so. And I think that was very well said. I think it's it's our moral duty not only for us to take care of ourselves and stand up for our own health, but also realizing that being more immunocompromised the more that we can protect ourselves, the more that we can clear up spaces in those hospital beds for other people that may may get really sick as well. And it's easy to want to be the tough one and say, oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'd like to go ahead and take the risk. And I think right now that's really not what this is about. I think I think what it's about is is protecting our community and whole and trying to gather together and make healthy decisions for all of us. Uh, so I well said. Anything else you'd like people to know? Any tips that you've been following since you're one of those people that can't necessarily work from home? How have you been dealing with this and what steps have you been taking to take care of yourself? What have you been doing specifically and what should people be doing, do you think? Yeah. So I think to starters, I've really been advocating switching our clinic to as much telemedicine as possible, kind of like we discussed earlier. I think that that would not only protect our patients from coming in, but also protect our physicians from getting sick. So it seems very much like a win-win in, in for appointments when, when that's possible. In addition, some new studies and new kind of things I've been following are there's a lot of medical journals that are coming out with things that we do know about COVID. And I think for the most part, there's so much that we don't know. But right now there's a study out that talks about uh, whether or not ibuprofen, so that would be Motrin or Advil, uh, is something that can actually make uh, your COVID infections worse if you were to get infected. And there are some thoughts right now that it actually can based on the mechanism of how that drug works in our body. And so I would recommend until we know more not to um, not to use ibuprofen uh, unless it's really needed. 
And I think that that would be a general recommendation for people with and without type 1 diabetes. But if that's something that could make it worse, I think it's it's worth it. We have other pain medication options to use. Uh, so I would recommend just staying away from that one until we kind of know more as a medical community. Another thing is that COVID is associated with diarrhea, not necessarily vomiting, but diarrhea has been shown in, in a large amount of cases. And with that, I think that we have to worry about dehydration as people with type 1 diabetes. And so definitely if we are to get sick, there are a lot of things that we can do, but having electrolytes at the house could really help. With the ICU beds being needed for people who need help with breathing if they contract COVID, ICU beds are also where we put people when they have DKA in most hospitals. And so I think making sure that we're on top of avoiding DKA in ourselves is is something that we can do for our own health and, again, for the greater good of the community. DKA really happens when we stop taking insulin when we get sick. Um, So even if you are feeling sick and maybe you have some nausea and diarrhea along with all the other symptoms uh, that's known with COVID, it's important to continue uh, drinking fluids, making sure we stay hydrated, and then we continue to take our insulin, even if that means just taking smaller amounts of boluses and, and supplementing that with carbs from Gatorade or carbs from something with a little bit of liquid sugar, as opposed to not eating anything at all and skipping those insulin shots. Now, each of your endocrinologists or physicians that you see for type one will have probably at some point from your diagnosis until now given you sick day guidelines. And I think I recommend kind of going definitely off of what they they say, but those will, those will be in place in order to help you if you do get sick. I think having ketone strips at home is important right now. You you don't necessarily have to have a prescription for them. I think getting them from Amazon, that's the cheapest place I can normally find them. And then um, making sure that, that, again, we have some type of fluid and electrolytes at home just to help us if we do get sick. That's something that I've had on hand just in case. As far as me and mental health, I know I spoke a little bit earlier about meditation in the morning, and then we talked about getting outside. Uh, But for me, something that I have learned just going through my medical career in general and kind of the stress and and long hours associated with that is having a really solid morning routine helps me so much uh, when it comes to my mindset for the day. And so I have edited it many times over the years, but right now um, I think trying to re-implement a more structured morning routine is something that'll kind of help me now that my life will have a little bit less routine coming up with all of the changes in my my current job. So the things I like to do for my morning routine to help with my mindset are first I get up and make the bed. Uh, then I do the meditation. I like to use that insight timer app. Uh, as far as meditation, I have had people ask me a lot of questions about like optimal timing to get benefit. And I really think it's as much as you can do in the beginning while you're learning. But studies show that at least 10 minutes, so 10 minutes or more, are where we really start to see the benefit kind of from a neurologic standpoint. So I try to do at least 10 minutes. After that, I do a gratitude list every morning. And this is something that I, I learned about from Tim Ferriss. But doing a gratitude list and just listing out the things that I'm grateful for in the morning really helps me set a positive mindset for the day and kind of reminds me of the important things in my life. So I like to do that every morning. And then I do the yoga. Um, there's a lot of free YouTube yoga videos online. And I, I tend to do mostly video instructions and keep it easy that way. Um, and then something that's newer kind of for my mental health and mindset that I've been doing are cold showers, uh, which sounds pretty crazy and it feels very crazy at first, but getting in a shower as cold as you can make it for a minute in the morning will totally change your life. I'm a big believer. 
there are good studies that it shows you kind of help to push you to do things that might be harder, not doesn't necessarily make you braver, but it makes you feel braver. And there are also studies, ironically enough, that show that it helps with your immune system. So I've been trying to do my cold showers more often uh, this week for sure. So yeah, I would, I would recommend having some time of routine in your life. And I think that helps from a diabetes perspective too, because a lot of the things we have to do to take care of our blood sugars also require routine, you know, whether it's testing before a meal or taking our Atlantis every night, we all kind of have routines associated with that. So keeping some type of structure, I think really helps when we're changing a lot of things and, and at home really often. Good stuff to know. Anything else you'd like people to know or anything that you've come across over the last couple of weeks since you've been talking a lot about the epidemic, the pandemic at work, anything you'd like people to know? I think that COVID-19 can feel really scary and overwhelming. And I think that for a lot of people, it can create anxiety and isolation. I think the best thing that we can do right now is to reach out. And just because we're distancing each other socially in a physical realm, doesn't mean that we can't reach out to forums online and, and talk about things or call our family, FaceTime our friends. I think that that's, that's really important through this. I think also there's a lot of good in the world. There are a lot of people stepping up all over this world in order to help reduce the rates of people that get sick. And that's really beautiful. I think that th we can look at all the good and say, wow, th there's a lot, a lot going on that's beneficial. And like anything in life that comes to you, whether it be a diabetes diagnosis, uh, losing your job or getting a new opportunity, we can look at the glass half full or half empty. And I think with this, there's a, there's a lot of really good things going on. And, and I think it's important that we remind ourselves of those as we learn about the hard things to hear as well. So I think that community is so important in this. Great. Yeah. So those are all my questions. Did you want to tell anybody or say anything else, anything you had prepared that you didn't, weren't able to get out? Um, I think a lot of people will find themselves with more downtime. And there are a lot of things we could do with that. Relaxation, totally important. Uh, but I do have some recommendations for some books about type 1 diabetes written by physicians with type 1 diabetes, uh, which I think were big game changers in my own self-care with the disease. And I'd like to recommend those so that if you are interested and have some more downtime to read, it would be a cool time to pick them up. The first one is Sugar Surfing by Dr. Stephen Ponder. Uh, he is a big role model and mentor of mine. He runs a camp here in Texas for kids with type 1 diabetes. And, and he's had diabetes since he was in med school. And he's now a pediatric endocrinologist and works with it every day. And he has some really positive insight about the disease and some amazing tips uh, in order to help kind of level our blood sugars. He, he uses a lot with CGMs, uh, but it's definitely for people who don't use the CGM as well. He has a great website with free emails and stuff. If you didn't want to read the whole book, there's a lot of great articles on there, but I would recommend that. Um, the other one is a book called Type 1 Diabetes and the Ketogenic Diet, and that's written by Dr. Keith Runyon. Uh, he's a ne nephrologist with type 1 diabetes, and he talks about uh, helping people kind of modulate their nutrition if they're interested in it for optimal blood sugar results. And so I really appreciate his work as well. All right. Thank you so much, Hannah, for joining me. Thank you for all this really great information. Well, thanks for letting me be here. I so appreciate this. And again, I want to say, I think having this podcast is such a gift to the world. I think what you do is absolutely wonderful. So thank you for all your work. I love hearing that. Thank you for saying it. All right. Bye. Bye. And that's the episode. 
As I was talking with Hannah and listening to her describe this crisis as something that we're all in together, I couldn't help but think of the Fred Rogers quote about the helpers. Now, I know we've all seen this quote on social media a million times already, but I went to the college that Fred Rogers graduated from, and I also lived three miles away from where he filmed Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, so I'm going to read it to you anyways. But what he said was, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping, and that couldn't be any truer than it is today. Yes, things are very scary, but we can all be those helpers. And I think the Type 1 community can be particularly helpful because of what we go through every day. We are very familiar with uncertainty, and we know what it's like being careful with what we do because of the very serious medical consequences if we don't. So this is a time that I think Type 1s can really be there for the Type nuns in their lives. The greatest thing that we could do now is reach out and help. And I think the bravest thing that we can do right now is ask for help when we need it. So stay safe, stay healthy, and let's try to help each other get through this. <laughs>